Welcome to a brand new Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. You know, I learned a very interesting, fun fact this week. Avocados, which I am a big fan of, they're not a vegetable. They're actually a fruit. My mind was blown. Um, and so then I started thinking, like, I wonder I wonder what other fruits and vegetables I have had uh, misconceptions about. It turns out pumpkins are also fruit. So if if you know of any fruits or vegetables that are commonly put in the wrong category, send me a DM on Instagram. I'd be interested to know. <laughs> but uh, a little bit of, a little bit of fun summer trivia there that you can share with your friends and you know the next time you're making avocado toast, you can think about the fact that you're actually spreading a fruit on your toast. So, it's not quite jam, but you know. All right. Well, we have a a really fascinating conversation that in no way relates to fruits and vegetables. Um, A little bit more in-depth this morning. I am so excited that we have uh, an amazing and very insightful and extremely problematic woman joining us today. You know, we are living in a day and age where our political leaders, some of them, they either don't know or they're not willing to admit what a woman is. Society is so confused about sex and gender. But where did this confusion begin? I mean, how did we get to this place where so many in society can't even answer that question, what is a woman? Abigail Favalli is the author of the book, The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theology. And she's joining the show today to talk about the origins of gender and how we've landed where we are today in society. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to that conversation. Society is increasingly becoming very confused about sex and gender, and it's really starting to affect every single aspect of society, whether it's education or the workplace. We're hearing so much about this. So that is why I am so excited that joining us today to discuss gender ideology and really the history of where this movement has come from and the Judeo-Christian understanding of what sex and gender is, is Abigail Favalli. She's the president. Oh, excuse me. She's a professor. (laughs) Oh, wow, I am. You're moving up in titles. Congratulations. (laughs) She's the professor of English and dean of the College of Humanities at George Fox University in Mm -hmm. Oregon. Abigail, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Yeah, happy to be here. So I'm so excited to talk about the work that you have done. I want to mention you've written two books, Into the Deep, An Unlikely Catholic Conversation, and then you've just recently released a book called The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theology. And we're going to talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that in a few moments. And then you've also created this program called Cultivating Catholic Feminism. Mm -hmm. I love that title, (laughs) Cultivating Catholic Feminism. But I want to begin by asking you to share a little bit of your own personal story. How Mm -hmm. did you kind of get into researching and writing about sex and gender? Mm, Sure. That's a great question. So I I was raised an evangelical Protestant, Mm -hmm. lived in the Mountain West in the United States. And um, I think I became interested in gender even as an adolescent or a teenager, often because I found myself not quite fitting the normal stereotypes of what was expected of women. Um, and I would often find myself being the only woman in, you know, like the only girl on the soccer team or, <laughs> you know, the 
playing basketball with my dad and other middle-aged men, you know, just like weird things, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that. I'm like, okay, well, um, I didn't – and I was – I felt like in the in the little subculture I grew up in, there weren't a lot of positive visions of womanhood that I felt like I could relate to and connect with. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was this kind of um, – this that created a uh, curiosity in me to, to seek that out. Um, and then I went to college and that was when I first encountered feminism. And at mm-hmm. first I thought, oh, this, this is what I've been looking for. This will help me understand what it means to be a woman and yeah. to be um, a woman of dignity. And I think at first feminism provided me with some helpful tools. Um, but then eventually I think I um, absorbed more of a postmodern feminist worldview. Then I went to graduate school in gender theory and um, feminist literary criticism, got my doctorate. And by that time, I had really imbibed a worldview that was pretty at odds with Christianity, even though I think I didn't quite want to recognize that and lived in the space of cognitive dissonance. And eventually that escalated into a spiritual crisis. Then I became a mother and that was like, whoa, this is a lot of things I thought about the world are being upended right now. And and then I um, pretty quickly and suddenly became Catholic and that <laughs> prompted a pretty big worldview shift um, in – uh, in the first couple of years of being Catholic. And then so since then, I've been trying to figure out, okay, how do I continue to write about and explore gender and sex and womanhood, but from the perspective of a Catholic worldview, a thoroughly Catholic worldview, and also to bring my kind of insider knowledge of feminist and gender theory to benefit the church and society in this kind of moment of debate and confusion. So that's my personal mission right now. Yeah. And you've had a, a wild journey. I mean, oh, I that's have, yes. a lot. To... I'm, an, I'm an extreme person. <laughs> I'm like, you're all in. One I'm, like, yes. I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, just kidding. Let's do this. I feel like any one of those things that you mentioned, we could probably spend a whole I podcast know, right? just talking about. I know, right? So we'll have to have you back sometime to go deeper <laughs> in your story. But I, I want to ask about uh, you, you sort of draw distinctions between sex and and gender. And there's a lot of confusion, I think, right now about what actually the differences are. Can you just kind of define those terms for us? Sure. That's a really hard thing to do (laughs) because I think linguistic confusion is a big problem in the current conversations about gender because you'll have people using the term gender but meaning wildly different things by it. Anything Mm. from a totally artificial construct to an innate state of the soul or psyche that can't be changed. Like those are two very different understandings. Um, so I so sex the sex gender split became uh, pretty it was originated the term gender originated with John Money, a psychologist in the mid-20th century. He borrowed hmm. the term from linguistics and he hmm. used it to name what he saw as this kind of social construction of norms okay. um, surrounding sex. That was completely malleable in the first few years of life. And his story is a harrowing story. You can either Google it or read my book to find out more about it. But second wave feminism took his concept of gender and they used it to name the social and cultural expressions of biological sex that can vary from place to place and time to time. And so that that distinction between sex as biological and gender as the social and cultural expression of sex stayed pretty much constant until the late 80s and 90s when Judith Butler, who was the foundress of queer theory and gender theory, she began to say, well, no, actually sex itself is also a social construct, not just gender. 
And that opened the door, kind of uprooting both of those words, um, opened the door for using those terms in ways that are um, kind of detached from material reality. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where we've come to where we are, um, where increasingly you'll hear people talk about sex as a construct or by, you know, the sex binary is not real. But then one's gender identity, one's sense of one's sex as that being something that's real, something that's immutable and something that has to be expressed um, and sometimes imposed on the body rather than read from the body. So when you use that title in your book, Genesis of Gender, you're kind of tracing it back to this postmodern feminist roots where mm -hmm. the whole – this ideology essentially – brought it up, correct? Yeah. So I'm, the genesis of gender, it kind of works in two ways. One is the way you just described. I described the, the development of the concept of gender over the yeah. past 100 years. And then the second usage is then comparing that concept of gender to the concept of gender offered in Genesis or oh, in the okay. Christian understanding. So then that's why it's kind of a double meaning, the genesis of gender um, and then also the genesis of gender. Oh, that's cool. So mm -hmm. it's mirroring each other. That's yeah. neat. Um, so you also talk about a gender paradigm yes. in your book. Yes. What does that mean? Okay. So I, I use the word paradigm because paradigm basically means a way of seeing, a way of conceptualizing all that is. It's like okay. a it's like a totalizing framework that you enter into and then kind of see everything in the context of that framework. And so it's not just enough to say – there's a word gender and here are the many definitions it's had. Like it's – that's why gender has become more than just a term. It's actually a worldview. It's a paradigm. It's it's something that people have entered into and then it totally reshapes their understanding of reality, their understanding of the body, their understanding of language, of truth, of freedom. Um, and then – so I contrast that with the the Christian way of seeing or the Genesis paradigm Okay. Okay. So neat. Um, so if you would, can I take a minute and maybe paint the differences? Sure. Of you have the one side that's this mm -hmm. very feminist uh, kind of perspective, and then you have this kind of Judeo-Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't even characterize the gender paradigm as feminist first and foremost. I think it's kind of a you know, an outgrowth. I call it like an edible offspring of feminism. <laughs> um, but I would call it fundamentally anti-realist. Okay. So postmodern might work, but sometimes postmodern can mean many different things. So I think what's what's really essential about the gender paradigm is that it has um, – it's fundamentally anti-realist, even if the inhabitants of the gender paradigm don't quite realize the anti-realism at work, mm -hmm. right? Because you'll hear regularly in activist – rhetoric or just people talking about their own experiences, claims about reality. Like, I am a woman. I, you know, trans women are women. Sex is a spectrum. Those are claims that are made about reality. They're not saying sex is a construct and therefore we can say it's a spectrum. They're actually trying to prove it's a spectrum, right? So there's this kind of bait and switch that happens where anti-realist postmodern philosophy facilitated this kind of detachment of these concepts from reality but then people redefine those terms to usher in a, a different concept of reality and then assert that is real. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so it's kind of a, a – No, no, yeah. but that's helpful to have that mm -hmm. background. Yeah. So then how does that compare to right. that Judeo-Christian? Okay, right. So then the, there are some of the main areas that I really compare the two paradigms. Um, I mean it, it starts with who – 
who does the creating, right? So mm. in the gender paradigm, we do. It's all human beings. Any kind of meaning or categorization or knowledge or truth is fundamentally human-made. And that includes our identity. That includes any sex categories, right? So we create ourselves, basically. We are the creators. We are not creatures. Whereas the Genesis paradigm is very clear that actually we we receive who we are from a creator and that there's a there's a kind of intention and design um, and we're part of a created order and we are creatures. So that's a pretty big difference. Um, and that relates to then a view of reality where on the, the gender paradigm, reality is a construct versus reality is something that is given and given to us. Reality is this gift that we receive, right? So I think one of the big one of the big contrasts, I think, between these two paradigms is a dynamic of control versus a dynamic of receptivity. And I also talk about how they have fundamentally different understandings of sexual difference, sexual difference as being a fiction, essentially, versus part of God's self-revelation to us, part mm-hmm. of the way the image of God is etched in our very being, um, and different views of language and also different views of, of freedom. So in the gender paradigm, freedom is very much about pushing past boundaries. It's about transgression and trying to overcome any limits, just pushing past limits. Um, like complete open-ended self-definition whose only limit is death. Okay. That's freedom. Whereas in the, the Genesis paradigm, freedom is depicted as a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. a belonging in the created order and ultimately our belonging in God. And so that you really see that clearly in the um, how the man and the woman are kicked out of the garden they're exiled and it's it's this it's this anguished moment in the text right but if you were to kind of approach it from the gender paradigm perspective that would be a moment of triumph you're you're out of the garden you're away from god and his rules and now you can kind of create freely in the world and figure out who you are you've essentially become your own gods but in the genesis way of seeing that kind of exile is um tragic Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so you're a professor. Mm-hmm. If if in one of your classes, let's say a, a young woman comes up to you, or as you're out speaking, and says, "Okay, well, you know, why why does my sex really matter? Why does gender really matter? Why?" I mean, especially in this day and age, when we mm-hmm. are seeing kids taking puberty blockers and and hormones and getting surgeries to transition, quote unquote, transition, uh, and biological men are participating on women's sports teams like in, in an age when young people are so kind of inundated with mm-hmm. the message of it's all relevant and whatever you want it to be. What's your message of, wait, no, no, no why, why is sex so important? Hmm. I mean, I guess my, I guess my message is almost even prior to that, which is that the body is important. Mm-hmm. Like the body is a gift. I think there's so much in our culture that denigrates the body mm-hmm. that wants to define identity and selfhood apart from the body. But I think it's just really deeply true that human beings are this integrated whole with a W, W H O L E. (laughs) We are a whole, not a whole, you know, we actually have this, this integrated identity and um, that that's a beautiful and good thing. And that embodiment in humans is characterized by sexual differentiation. So we don't have bodies. We are our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's so much in our culture, I think, especially with women, that sets them at war with their own bodies. It says, okay, well, you need to make sure that you alter yourself chemically so that your reproductive system doesn't work correctly in order that you can be temporarily sterile and compete in the workplace, blah, blah, blah. So 
um, from from a young age, I think women are kind of adopted into this this subtle denigration of especially the female body in our culture, and um, that ultimately harms ultimately harms women. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you have taken so much of this information, and like I mentioned, you've put it in this video course called Cultivating Catholic Feminism. Mm-hmm. I'm just obsessed with that title. It's so great. <laughs> um, and the course is really created in part um, in response to Pope John Paul II's call for women to really bring about this this new feminism. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, yeah. new feminism? Right. So when, when John Paul II writes that, the I think the full quote is something like women – like we need a new feminism that doesn't simply replicate male modes of domination, right? So in that, he's also kind of jabbing against <laughs> the old feminism, one might say, which really just – is is also obsessed with control and power and domination and autonomy, right? So um, I think he's calling there for a movement that defends the dignity of women, but that is rooted in a Catholic understanding of, of dignity in the human person and that will look quite different than the old feminism, you might say. Um, and yeah, the Cultivating Catholic Feminism series, um, I wrote the content for it and it was produced – but it was produced and kind of created by this woman named Corinne Stersnick, who founded the Catholic Woman, mm. and she's she's kind of like she's kind of like you, you know, she's young and still in her twenties, and just this amazing entrepreneur. And um, so her her vision, like her kind of mission, is to show the beauty of Catholic understanding of womanhood, but also the freedom that's offered and how we can live out our vocation as women and our genius as women in so many different kinds of ways. Yeah. So there's this beautiful diversity. Um, when you look around at the various kinds of ways women live out their their womanhood, um, and so my that series is an attempt to really articulate what feminism could look like if it was truly an expression of a Catholic worldview. Mm. As feminism is one interesting thing about feminism is that it tends to be grafted onto other philosophical systems. It doesn't have a lot of content to it itself, but it gets it's almost like parasitical on other. Other things, so that's why you might you have like Marxist feminism or liberal feminism, right? So a Catholic feminism would be a a movement that is concerned with the well being of women, but one that is completely rooted in the rooted or built upon the premises of, of a Catholic understanding of reality. Okay, interesting. So if I were to sign up and and get this sort of course, mm-hmm. what should I expect? Okay, so it's totally free, totally okay. self paced, um, and there are, I think, twenty. I think I, I filmed like twenty-one videos, and those are the ones I wrote the script for. And so those videos provide basically a theological framework for what a Catholic feminism would look like. And then there are also quite a few videos on specific questions, like why are there only men in the priesthood, or why do we call God Father, or abortion, contraception, like any of the kind of things that that someone who's confused about feminism and Catholicism and how those could relate might ask. There are also there's also a wonderful set of like mini documentary videos of various Catholic women, so some religious sisters, women of various ethnicities and backgrounds, to show again that kind of beautiful diversity of living out um, Catholic womanhood. Mm-hmm. So the production quality is amazing. Corinne's husband. I was watching some of the videos. Film. Yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, it's this really is so good. <laughs> it's really well crafted and it's totally free. And if you, it also has like journal prompts and there's kind of this interactive. 
thing to it. But you really make what you want of it, right? Yeah. You can just sign up and then watch all the videos um, at your own pace or you can, you can actually do the more kind of interactive work as well. But yeah, it's totally free. Um, I really recommend it. I think it's a I think it's a great resource, especially for young women who are trying to navigate how how to I don't know that I feel like our culture is so polarizing in so many ways. It's like, oh, okay, so there are some there are some genuine critiques we need to make about feminism, but that doesn't mean we then need to sort of become strident anti-feminists and say that, you know, women shouldn't wear pants and vote and things Mm -hmm. like that, right? So um, I think there's like a healthy middle ground between those two (laughs) things. And this is an attempt to articulate what a a Catholic approach would be. And for those who aren't Catholic, I'm not Mm -hmm. Catholic, is it okay to still, even if you're not Catholic, take the course? Totally, yeah, because it's, it's, well, yeah, anyone can take it, right? (laughs) It is going to take Christian understanding of reality for granted, Mm -hmm. but it's going to articulate that, right? So... Um, and I don't – I mean there might be things that are more specific to Catholics like say the, the male priesthood thing, but that mm-hmm. could still be interesting. Yeah. So I would say yes, anyone who's either interested in a Christian understanding of feminism or is Christian themselves, whether Catholic or not, I think it would would be yeah. helpful. That's yeah. so cool. I just love it. Yeah. Love that you guys are talking about this. <laughs> now there's one question that we ask all of our guests on the show um, and – it's we've in some ways been talking about it the whole time, but that is: Do you consider yourself a feminist? Ooh. Yes or no? Why or why not? That's a good question. You know, when I converted to Catholicism, there you know was a stretch of two or three years where I genuinely did. I, I think I probably would have said no at yeah. that time, and it was actually the process of creating this because I remember when Corinne first reached out to me and said, "I have this project. Would you be interested in doing it?" I remember at first I was like, oh, I don't know. Like I don't even know if I really consider myself a feminist, you know. Yeah. But then in preparing that, actually producing that and writing the scripts was a way for me to really work out what it could mean to call myself a feminist as a mm. Catholic. And by through the process of that, especially reading Edith Stein and getting more into John Paul II, um, I began to realize like, wow, there actually is – there, that is possible, and there's a need for that. So yeah. now I would I would say yes, I'm a Catholic first, but I am a feminist second. Um, but what I mean by feminism is definitely grounded in uh, my Catholic theology. Yes, yeah. yeah. So so yeah. cool. Now, how can our listeners follow your work? Sure. Find the course, get the book. Okay, so the course you can just go CatholicFeminism.com or CultivatingCatholicFeminism.com. My book, The Genesis of Gender is available on Amazon or directly from the publisher, Ignatius. It's officially out on May 30th, but you can pre-order it now. My conversion memoir, Into the Deep, you can get on Amazon, and you can follow me on Twitter at Favali Abs. Awesome. <laughs> Abby, thank you. This has yeah. been so fun. Really, really appreciate yeah, your time thank today. thank you. Thank you all so much for listening today. That's going to be it for today's Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. Be sure to join us on Thursday for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. And so we so appreciate when you leave us reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you like to listen. It makes a world of difference to us. We read every single one of those reviews. We love hearing from you. So thanks if you have done that. If you haven't, please take five minutes to do it. It's really, really appreciated. All right. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you Thursday. Problematic.
Catholic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.